Welcome to The Tangent. Father Sam Kachuba, joined as always by Matt, Matt Sparazza. Oh, you beat me to it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if they know who you are yet. Yeah. And uh, today, Matt, we've got a great guest. Um, really excited to talk with Marty Walker from Inter-Connecticut Football Club. Did I get that right? Inter-Connecticut Football yeah, Club? Yeah, perfect. Marty? Yeah, that's it. That's the name. Great. Um, now, what's, what's great doing this is we've got a Catholic podcast here. We, we talk theology, we talk philosophy, we, we try to talk uh, catechesis and teaching and everything. Uh, we've not had a chance to talk about, about sports, but I think there's always great connections with, with sports. Um, but in, in particular, what I'm excited to talk about is really your vision that, that you've got there uh, for forming not just soccer players, football players. Sorry, which, which, which should I be saying here? Uh, correct Either or. Me. I, I mean, it depends. <laughs> If I'm back home, I travel back to Ireland in a, in a week and a half. And if I say the word soccer, my friends will give me a little bit of that, <laughs> uh, verbal abuse. Um, so right. we, can use, we can use either. Okay. Right. But the idea with, with what you do as, as a coach, uh, as a mentor, is not just to, to form competitive soccer players, not just to help athletes to perform at their, at their peak, but you're also striving to form good men and women uh, who will be oh, good yeah, members of society. Yeah, I think that's the for me that's the foundation of it. You know, I think that's 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 where um, myself and my colleague Leon, we were directors at the club in its um, previous form, which used to be called Everton America, and had an association with um, Everton and the Premier League. Mm-hmm. When we when we took over the club in 2019, I think the the goal was they just formed outstanding individuals and soccer being the vehicle. You know, um, both based off of our own experience personally. I grew up I'm Irish. Grew up as an Irish Catholic in Derry, in Ireland, and 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 um, you know, my religion was a big part of growing up, and I think that it helped me step into the sporting world and and, and kind of the community that was based upon my early religious experience. Um, helped me to develop good sporting kind of communities and and, and relationships, um, because I didn't start soccer until it was very very late and in, in in the terms of kind of development i was 15 before i really kicked the soccer ball mm-hmm. um but uh, no I, I was passionate about the game i understood it i just never really had the opportunity to do it I, I grew up during the troubles in northern ireland um, and it formed a big part of what kind of our past times were um when i was younger but soccer kind of really kind of gave me a direction in life i was always smart Mm-hmm. In terms of my academics, but I was never focused in terms of how my how I could apply myself. And the vehicle of soccer allowed me to apply myself better. And all of a sudden, my grades got better, and my, my relationships got better, and um, my intentions in life got better. And soccer kind of really gave me that good guidance that kind of supported my kind of religious upbringing and allowed me to kind of be a better person. You know, That's so amazing. I think, yeah. So I think from 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 our perspective, it was a case of listen, we have a good club. We've got really good families in the club. We've got good soccer players in the club. But soccer is a standalone entity. It's just someone that's like, you know, and you may preach a bit of competitiveness and you know, put people on a soccer field, teach them how to kick a ball. But for us, it was how do we get people to grow as a community? How do we get parents to kind of support the club? And how do we get parents to help their kids be better soccer players? And by kind of teaching them better kind of moral standards and having higher mm-hmm. kind of self um appreciations and, and all that good stuff so i think for us and, and our goal as club owners soccer's almost like it's not even the priority 
You know, it's just the tool that we use to make people kind of just really humble and, and, and kind of diligent humans. Yeah, that's great. I like how the, the sports transcends the other stuff. It's, it's, it's the vehicle for, for your humanity. Uh, exactly. But there's, there's so much that, that playing and having that, that athletic contest will, will do for you. So you, you talked about being a, a good student, but not being focused and how yeah. it, was, it was sports that taught you how to be focused. Yeah. You knew how to do all the other stuff. You knew how to do the academics. You knew how to handle those things. But yeah. it was playing soccer that got you into that place of being really and truly focused on, on what was most important. Yeah, it was, it was definitely, it was a defining kind of catalyst for, for, for me, both academically and kind of um, developmentally. You know, it, it, it taught me skills that were there, but I didn't realize the importance of them until I had to apply them. You know, so mm. uh, the success that I achieved applying those skills in a sporting platform kind of opened my eyes to right now what I can commit myself more to other aspects of my life and see the same levels of success as I do on the field. Yeah. You know? And what was it that got you into the idea of, I want to, I don't just want to play. I don't just want to perform well on the field. I want to pass on this lesson. I want to teach other people how to do this. How'd you get into coaching? Yeah. yeah I think my first experience of playing, uh, and and my first coach, and I, I played as a goalkeeper, um, and and my first goalkeeper coach, I'll never forget him. A guy called Declan Devine. He's a, you know, gone after having coached me, and kind of his career's gone on. The, you see, and he's coaching at a really high level. He just really inspired me, you know. Just from a, a I hadn't played, and he, you know, he didn't put me on any shelf because I hadn't played. He didn't say you haven't started by now. You're not going to make it. He was like, listen, if you're going to commit to this. And this is what you got to do, and you're mm. gonna no, you're gonna work hard, but you can do it if you kind of apply yourself. Um, unfortunately, I was able to. I made my pro debut at eighteen, and uh, so it took me three years of kind of like real hard work to do it. Um, then, you know, coupled with a few of the teachers in my high school, and I went to a pretty good academic high school because I was smart enough. Um, but my rebellious nature and my lack of commitment in my earlier years to um academics and studying put me on the, probably like the, the back of the bus almost as opposed to the front of the bus i was a, i wasn't a bad student but i was lagging behind mm-hmm. but there was teachers even though i was lagging behind there was teachers in the school who knew that i was good at it and who sought to draw it out of me as opposed to you know, putting me in some sort of pigeonhole or box and saying listen no you're not worth my effort so there's a couple of teachers um uh, mr mcclafferty and, and mr hughes that were were very, very kind of engaging with me, even though I was probably not the best engaging with them, you know. Um, but yeah, those type of characters really inspired me, you mm. know. So it's um, beyond the playing of it, I wanted to have the similar impact on other people that they had on me, you know, where people, he, oh, you might not be the best player in the world, you might not be the most focused in the world, you might not have all the tools necessary for success right now, but if you know, if somebody's there and can guide you and help you, and um, you, know, you can achieve what you want to achieve, and I want to be that guide. You know, Leon and I were like, you know, we have a club, and in our club there's over 700 families. You know, and we, and wow. we make it, we make it a deal to kind of we segment the club. So I'm more on the high school end; he's on the pre-high school end. But we do a lot of stuff to make the club a community, so we get our faces in front of everybody, so that we can in- inspire as many people as possible. You know. Yeah. So I'm a teacher. Um, nice. And I can definitely relate to that that idea. You know, you the perseverance mm-hmm. with a student 
particularly if they have gotten to a place where they have stopped believing in themselves. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it can work wonders just to ha- just to be that that one. And I think it's important adult, you know, that one adult saying, yeah. saying, no, you don't have to give up. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that was, it was looking back now, and I do look back often because I had a really good high school experience, mm-hmm. even though, even though for a long time I wasn't the best student, I actually made the decision to repeat my high school senior year myself because mm-hmm. um, the grades that I ultimately achieved weren't good enough for me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it was like, it wasn't, it wasn't, I could have went on to university in England or Ireland and then still gotten into university, but I felt comfortable in the environment and comfortable with the staff that I could make my own real adult decisions. Um, and almost there was a stigma attached to repeating academic, oh, yeah. academic years, um, both here and at home. But I felt that the guidance that I received allowed me just to be a, a person who was more sure of myself. And I do know I level that at the teachers that really inspired me, you know? That's awesome. Love it. You know, you, you talk about the, that time of just not always being so focused and, uh, having those teachers who were right there to, to kind of help you to get, get grounded. I mean, Matt was my student when he was in high school and uh, I can tell you all about an unfocused young man who <laughs> is, is now focused and has, has figured it out. Um, yeah. I wish I could say it was because I taught him how to play sports or something, but yeah, nothing, yeah. Nothing, yeah. Quite so, nothing quite so grand. I only skipped <laughs> class a couple times to hang out with Father Sam. <laughs> there you go. A couple times a week. <laughs> There's another thing that you were saying before that, that really jumped out at me. So you said you didn't start playing football until you were 15 but you turned pro at 18 yeah so i i I made my semi-professional debut just after my 17th birthday um and and i I went there's two there's two teams in my hometown one's a semi-pro team and one's a professional team um and at 18 the professional team asked me to sign for them and i was on the bench straight away you know so um yeah it's not common but I'm not unique, you know, so, <laughs> right. but it also, I, I see what hurts me, not hurts me, but, but we kind of get, grinds my gears a little bit is when I see players at the age of 13, 14, 15, who've given up because another coach or somebody else has basically says, listen, you're not there and you won't ever get there. Whereas yeah. I know that the opposite is completely true because I've lived it and experienced it. But I also know that hey, in order to get from there to where you want to be, it takes a lot of work and a lot of commitment and you have to kind of get uh, it takes a lot of commitment both on the field but developing relationships with your parents because your parents look after you and bring you to games developing relationships with your siblings because they're the ones that support you making sure your academics are in order because i I coach college soccer as well so i know Mm. the journey that most of these kids want to be on um so yeah yeah, for me it was it's 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 not unique for sure but it's 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 um uh it's few and far between but drives my motivation for younger players all yeah. the time. Mm-hmm. So what was your sport before you started playing soccer? I mean, you must have had some <laughs> athletic capacity because you don't, I'm sorry, soccer is <laughs> yeah. too complicated a game <laughs> to just be able to go and play professionally yeah. at the age of 18 yeah. and you've got only got three years of experience. You were already an athlete, right? Not really, no. I played a little bit of Gaelic football, which is an Irish sport, and but okay. I was never good at it. It was just because I was a young Irish Catholic in Derry and it was all... And that's what you did. You had, it, you had to do it, you know? Um and so it didn't play much, um, you know, I come from the the generation of where you're, you're, you're playing in the streets with your friends and you're climbing trees and you're athletic just by default because your parents yeah. kicked you out of, the, out of the house at 9am and you came back yeah. when it was dark, you know, so you had to, you, know, you had to survive basically. So I wasn't, I wasn't unfit 
I was certainly unathletic based on the techniques and all of that of the position that I that I had. But it, like my body was prepared to change and adapt to the necessary kind of skills that were yeah. required. Again, coach Declan Devine, my coach, was a very specific. You know, and, and like I just absorbed all the information he gave me. He happened to be just have, he had just retired from playing professionally at the club Derry City. Um, mm-hmm. whenever he he met me at fifteen, so um, just a really good role model and just a, a real focus. What I will say is that I, I I was a soccer fan, so I understood the tactics of the game and I understood kind of like positioning and I understood angles for as a goalkeeper. So I I, I had a very kind of in depth knowledge. I was a passionate soccer fan. I loved the game, you know. So I wasn't mm-hmm. coming in blind. Um, right. So I, I like. I understood the game. It wasn't like I was coming. If, I had, if you told me to play American football, I wouldn't have had a clue, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but because it was soccer and that was the one main sport that we all watched anyway. It wasn't anything new to me. It was just kind of honing okay. the technical skills because tactically I was aware of what needed to happen in the game. Um, and just understanding the game was a good um, foundation for me, you know. Mm. Yeah. Now, you mentioned uh, that you've you've coached at the high school level, you've coached at the college level. And so you know that journey a lot of students are on or players are on, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and they have to balance these these different aspects of their lives, whether it's family life, whether it's, you know, just their friends, whether it's the game itself, whether it's school, yeah. you know, across the board. What is the advice that you give to, to uh, players on your team when they are struggling to do this? It sounds, it probably sounds a little bit backward, but we'll tell them to kind of take a step away from the game of soccer if other aspects of their life are starting to kind of um, um, crumble, say crumble, probably not, or be affected by the workload mm-hmm. that they have is probably a better way of putting it. And um, we're not, there are no soccer clubs and sports clubs that exist. They're like, listen, you have to be at every practice or else you're not playing or you have to do this or you have to do that. We're definitely not a have-to club. We're like, listen, you're good enough to do this, but everything else kind of needs to flow. And we'll have parents like, mm. oh, sorry, Marty, we can't bring Declan to practice because he's, you know, he's behind in his academics. And it's like, listen, I'll call Declan up and say, Declan, come on, if you want to go play college soccer or wherever, your academics will open more doors for you than your sport will, you know? Um, mm. So even if you're trending as a really top athlete, I've, I've seen top athletes not get into schools because their academics are so bad. So to be a well-rounded individual is tough because of the workload that kids are put through at the minute and kind of all the social challenges that they face, as well as trying to be a competitive athlete on top of that. It's, 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 it's a lot to manage. So, you know, the carrot of playing and, and being an athlete, sometimes that getting taken away from a player can be tough on them as well. So we don't make it a, we're taking away the carrot. It's like, listen, you know, just take some time. You get everything in order because you're safe here. This is your safe spot. When you come back here, you'll, you'll step back into the team. Practices won't have changed. There's going to be no new faces. If you need a week, two weeks, whatever, um, mm-hmm. then you're at the right club, you know. Um, so I think from, you know, in order to kind of, in order for us to help players be more well-rounded, we have to be able to say, listen, take a step back from what you love doing, you know, because whenever yeah. they, Whenever they take a step back, no, it's easy to take a step back away from your academics or, or you know, oh, yeah. or, or go play, to go practice soccer. We don't want it to be easy. We want we want them to kind right. of make those tougher decisions when they're younger and say, you know, I, it might you might you might um, prefer to go play soccer practice and do algebra, but you know what? Right. It's, it's, yeah, right. you know, I get it because I would have been the same guy. But right, yeah, I, yeah, I learned the mistakes harder and later. I don't want you to make the same kind of like 
longevity mistakes that I made. It's yeah. interesting because I think there's a I think there's a stereotype that oh this this athlete went to this, you know, Ivy League school, but they only got in because they're good at soccer or they only got in because they're good at hockey. You know, would you say that that's backwards? Would you say that because because what you said is you know your academics are going to open more doors than your than your talent on the field will, you know? And yeah, and, well, and, yeah, for, yeah, yeah. Well, good first time, first hand experience. I am uh, I coached Yale women's soccer for four years, <laughs> so I know that they're not. You know the Ivies. Up, yeah, <laughs> right, right. They're not, yeah, they're not. They're not going to open up any doors just because you're an amazing athlete. You know, you have to take every box. There's no. You know, wow. maybe maybe some schools that are high academic schools that have a little bit more flexibility. But in my experience, it's not like it's not like okay, you know what, you're that good. We're going to give you that big of a break. You know, there was right. you know, there, there was an academic index. You had to fall within the academic index, and if you fell right. outside it, you know what? Yeah. Unfortunately for you, you know, you haven't kept a whole part of your life together that you needed to do. Um, so right. it was tough. It was definitely tough to see some kids fall just short of it. Um, but no, the, the lesson was always, you know if you need to take a break to get your academics in order to get you across that line into the school you want to go to, you know, you're not going to really suffer from an athletic perspective because, mm-hmm. you know, you just like riding a bicycle, you get straight back into it, you know, and right, if yeah. you're committed, if you're committed in sport, you're going to be committed regardless, even if you have to miss, you might even be more committed if you come back after missing two weeks right. because you want to have a point to prove and you can sit on the show. But if you're missing tests and you're missing deadlines for, 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 for handing on assignments and stuff that can really set you back, you know? Yeah. That's a really pr- refreshing perspective though, that you're, that you're bringing to this. So, so often what you find with, uh, whether it's youth sports or almost any activity that's designed for kids is it's an all or nothing proposition. This has to be the one thing that you do. This has to be the, the most important thing in the world. And if you miss a single day, like you were saying before, if you miss a single practice or if, if you're not there for something, it's it's the end of your opportunity with this. And that means that you'll never yeah. get into college. You'll never get a job and no one will ever love you. Um, and that so often <laughs> is, is sort of like the, the, the message. And I think yeah. a lot of... I think a lot of parents struggle with that because they want their kids to have the opportunity. They want their kids to, to experience it. They know the value. Like a lot of us grew up playing... Uh, playing rec league sports and stuff. I played little league baseball. I was never very good. My brother was the was the real athlete in the family. But I had I had coaches who kind of got the the point and who weren't overly yeah, yeah. concerned about it. But then I think we've all seen the examples of of the coaches who it's it's the all or nothing, and how how damaging that can be, how challenging that can be. It's it's really nice to just hear that perspective from a coach. And making it really clear to your entire club and 700 families to make that the yeah, yeah. The, the clarity of, of your vision. It's fantastic. Yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a pet peeve of mine because, you know, there are there are other clubs and there's coaches and there's sometimes there's coaches in our clubs who we have to have the conversation with, you know, he might, might get trapped with that mindset. We're like, listen, you got to be here or else. That's not the case. It should never be the case. That we don't own anybody, you know. It's not like we have ownership over you and because you're part of our club, you have to do as you're told. It's almost like with every individual, it's a case of how can we help you most? You know what I mean? We're providing the service because sports here in America is different than it is what it is back home. Like our service yeah. just isn't on the field and, and with cones and soccer balls. It's hey, how, how, can, how, can we, how can we support you in every aspect of your life? You know? Right. It's all about growth. It's all about yeah. growth and, and figuring out, you know, how to grow up, how to mature. 
Yeah, and, it's, and, and it hits us at different stages. For me, it was soccer helped me grow up and mature, you know? It, it really helped me yeah. do that. And it, it, you know, I was in Ireland with aspirations of being wealthy, you know, and I wanted to be a lawyer. You know, I went to, I went to a pretty good academic school, even though I wasn't really focused. And, and law was my the profession because Irish Catholics couldn't go to school for a certain amount of time. And my older siblings and my parents couldn't go to school after kind of the age of 14. So for me, I was going to be the person in the family who would be like a, in a legal profession making loads of money. Right, and, yeah. And soccer kind of dragged me away from that, and thankfully so, because it took me into a world where I could, I still could feel as if I was impacting people positively, but I was doing it in an environment where um, it wasn't financially driven, and it was, it, it was more rewarding because I could see it in front of me, the tangible effects of, of kind of playing well, how that meant to me. Um, supporting my teammates, how that felt for me. And then as a coach, making players better and, and forming solid teams. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I, I deviated from the legal profession and the my undergrad and postgrad in psychology and sports psychology. So I do work on the side as a sports psychologist with a lot of athletes. So that's probably that's probably the grounding of kind of our approach to, to how we manage our players in the club, you know? Wow, that's incredible. So you're, you're keeping them grounded. Uh, in in where they are right now, helping them, helping your players to to see what's going on actually around them, what what they need to do and and how they need to yeah. be processing all of the all the other stuff. I mean, sports are kind of inherently emotional, aren't they? And oh, yeah. you, you get into a game and you start competing, and it feels like it's the only thing, it's the most important thing, right? You you follow your team. I'm a I'm a huge Mets fan, right? And so I got Mr. Met behind me over there. Yeah, nice. <laughs> my my in laws are all huge and, Mets fans. Good. I like them already. <laughs> you know, when, when they were in the World Series in 2015, I was, I was up for every single game and it, through the whole playoffs and everything, just leading up to that, up for every single game and watching every pitch. And just, I was, I was living and dying on, on everything that happened. And it, it was an enormous letdown that they lost. And uh, I'll, I'll get over yeah. it someday, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, it's, I mean, if that's, if that's what's happening to the fan. To the person who just wants to watch the game and, and who's, who's passionate about it from, from the sidelines, how much more for the person who's actually on the field, for the athlete yeah. who's actually playing the game? Yeah, it's, it's, it varies, right? I think it's, it's it, sometimes, and weirdly, it varies from, from almost year to year for some players. You know, you'll see players who are 12 and 13 years old. That's the only thing that matters. If they mess up, it's a disaster. And their day's a disaster and their week's a disaster. And you now it's... It, communication with their parents is a disaster and all of a sudden they can't practice at coach uh, they can't perform a practice as well for a week or so you know so uh, one of the good things for us is seeing players evolve out of that desperation right uh, we have like the three phases in our club the first phase is love the game right can we get the youngest kids they they love soccer right and and you know, support a team support a player love messi love ronaldo love a team whatever and then the second phase where it becomes so that first phase is the the youngest age group. Then our like middle school age group is, is love to learn, right? Learn to fail, learn to struggle, learn to do things well, learn to kind of bounce back from from um, disappointments. And there we get the almost like the most emotional age group with us because it's you get to a certain stage where like our teams are pretty competitive. And when we get in, when we get into the love to learn phase, because they have to learn so much more over a short period of time. Their competitive and their competitiveness and their output is affected negatively. Can't handle it. 
<laughs> so yeah. as coaches, we have yeah. to help them handle it, but they're learning so much more and developing kind of holistically and, and, and from an overall soccer perspective that you have to kind of suffer the consequences of learning in order to be better eventually. So when we step into our third phase, which is love to compete, they're ready to go. How yeah. important that in your in your uh, love to learn phase, you're including failure. Oh, it's, you're teaching it's, you're teaching yeah. them how to fail. I think we're not doing a good job of that <laughs> as yeah. a, in in general. Like as as a culture, we we think everything's always got to be a success, and it's got to be a success right away. But to to teach people to fail and to fail well is is powerful. Yeah, I think it's it's one of the most. It's for me. I, I try. It's it's one of the things I try to impress upon players the most. Um. Even even the older players and the love to compete, I'm like, because they can, in any walk of life, 15, 16, 17, 18 year old, who's kind of graduated out of, uh, graduated out of the love to learn phase, still kind of go through the motions, right? Whether it's in school or whether it's in soccer, or whether it's as a home life or whatever. So what we find with my teams is we go through the motions with really basic technical practices. So then at that stage, I really encourage them to be unsuccessful in what they do by trying to do it really, really fast. I'm okay with it breaking down. I'm okay with the session breaking down if you're trying really hard. I'm not okay with the session looking pretty if you're just basically just strolling through it and we kind of get the sequence right. But you know, there's no failure because you think now you certainly think you're good because there's no failure. You're actually really good if you're failing consistently and trying to get better. So it really is important to introduce failure. To let them know what failure looks like from a practice and playing perspective. And then they also give them the tools to manage it both emotionally and, and kind of plan to improve and beyond failure, you know? Yeah, the strong man is the man. It's not the man who never falls. It's the man who falls and gets up repeatedly. Yeah. You know, it's yeah, that, that perseverance. It, it, yeah. And you'll see, it, it's funny because when you're looking at younger players here, and they hear back to my pet peeve, when you're pigeonholed in your box as a player, he's not going to really do well. That player who is seemingly not going to do well, but who really cares and works on his game, often overtakes those players who are just kind of coasting through their development. You know, right? Um, right. So yeah, no, it is, it's it's bounce back ability is was a term that kind of came out in sports psychology circles a few years ago, um, and it's it's important, right? Bounce back ability, whether it's from a mistake in a game or a mistake in practice or a bad season or a bad or, or bad performance, um, yeah, it's it's a real tool, good strong tool to have. Mm-hmm. Now, as you're, as you're working with these athletes and you're with them for probably hours every week, right? Yeah. Um, they, you, you might be the, the, the second biggest consumer of their time after their family and their school. Yeah. Uh, conceivably, like they're, they're spending, if they're, especially if they're really committed um, yeah. with their practice time, with travel to games and things like that. Um, yeah. Inevitably, then you're getting an insight into what's going on in their personal lives too. It's not only what's happening on the field; it's not only what's happening as a team. But each each athlete brings to the bench, brings to the field their own stuff, whatever's whatever else is going on. Um, how do you find that playing soccer, or really any any sport? I think this applies no matter what the sport is. Uh, how do you find that those those opportunities to play uh, can can be maybe corrective to things that are going on at home, uh, cathartic for things that are going on in their, in their own lives. H- how do you find them processing through the sport? Yeah. Whatever it is that, they're dealing with outside of it. Yeah. That, that, that falls on us as a club to create a good culture, both um, from top to bottom in terms of like our youngest day or oldest, and then within each individual team, because if no, I'd like to think, and it's something we impress on our players 
that you know, if they are struggling, you know, with anything, you know, they have a support network of 15, 16 other players that they can kind of connect with, share with, um, struggle with because somebody might be somebody else might be going through the same thing and together they can work through it with their teammates or coach and um, and find a place where you know it's not just about what we do on the pitch or on the field it's about kind of what we can do for each other because typically our teams stay together for a long period of time six seven eight nine years you know um there'll be a little kind of ebb and flow of personnel coming in and, and, and going out but for the most part we have a team and the importance of the team unity then allows for players to kind of open up where you might not be able to open up to somebody in your classroom or your teacher like that little unit that community that little kind of like army of supporters that you have as your brothers or sisters on the field um is designed for us or designed by us to create an area where you can have a safe space to talk so i mean they're growing up together not only as athletes but they're also growing up together as as human beings when you've got them together for that long yeah, yeah, we have them for a long time. The funniest, the funniest is whenever for me is because our our team is based in Norwalk Wilton area. We have a couple of satellite programs in Milford, Connecticut, in Litchfield, and in the fall, whenever I'm coaching college soccer, our teams don't play. So our teams, my team specifically, get back together like early November and play through Father's Day. Um, but I'll go see them play at the high school, and even though they're playing on my club team, they'll compete against each other at the high school level. Yeah. And it's quite funny. So it's like, it's a turn that kind of like love and the competitiveness and they'll be super competitive with each other. But the best part of it is when parents at the end of the game can take a photograph of kids from West Hill and kids from Staples arms around one another because they're on the same team. You can see yeah. that even though there's that um, high school rivalry, like the relationship exists, you know, and they can go be competitive with each other and, 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 and but still then, you know, once the, the, the battle tools are down, they, um, they're, they're back to their brotherhood, you know, it's nice. Yeah. You, know, you look every year or, or yeah, let's, let, let's go with the, the sporting events that come around just, just a couple of times a year. So we just, we just passed the world cup. Uh, yeah. The world cup comes around. The Olympics come around every four years and, and you, every time they're, they're always not just highlighting the, the teams or the, the sport itself, but they, they always go for that human interest story. Here's this mm. person who's overcome this kind of adversity and look how far they've come And Here they are now competing in the Olympics. And so, I mean, it's the emotional hook that, that gets you to, to root, not just yeah. for uh, the person competing, like I want them to win, but yeah, you're yeah. rooting because the, the win means something more than just the medal, more than just the trophy. Uh, oh, it's, yeah. it's, it's that deeper part. Um, and then you see, and this is, I think, one of the cool things about how, especially with the Olympics and the World Cup, uh, you're bringing together people from all over the world, but they might be playing professionally someplace. Like, it, it's really neat watching um, watching the World Cup, and, and you see these these guys who are playing. They're playing in the Premier League, and then yeah. they're lining up opposite their own teammates. Yeah, and you yeah, know yeah. there's a friendship. You know there's there's a bond that they share, and that in in a couple weeks they're back together playing in the premier league, you know, but yeah, for yeah. right now they're, yeah, yeah. they're going to oppose each other, but there's this, this kind of beautiful respect. And then there's other places where it doesn't always translate, like go back and like, look at the, uh, look at Larry Bird and magic Johnson playing against each other in the, in like the late eighties. And they, they respected each other as, as players, but if, if one of them fell down on the court, the other one wasn't going to help him up or anything like that. Yeah, 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 there's yeah, this yeah, sort yeah, of yeah, hard nosed yeah. approach to sport yeah. that, uh, I don't know. I, I think uh, it's got a place. It's got a value. And yeah. then at the same time, there's this this great gift of realizing that there's no there's something about the sport and about that 
that sportsmanship that transcends the rivalry. Yeah, it's you know at that elite level, you know you can't you can't be successful unless you're super competitive. You know, and you have to put you have to put camaraderie aside sometimes whenever faced with an opponent who might be on your club team. No, no better example than, than the England striker versus the France goalkeeper who both play for the yeah. same club, and he scores the first goal but misses the second PK. And it's like it's like the, the, it's not about the penalty kick; it's about the the dynamic and the relationship between the player and the goalkeeper. You know, how right. can they how can one psych the other out, and how, what's their relationship like when they go back to their club and the reality is it's perfectly fine, you know. Um, so that those elite, and I was very fortunate. That I, I was actually in Qatar. I was at the World Cup. I've seen six Were games really? out there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and and you know, at that level, you know, there's they have that almost innate competitiveness where it's like as soon as I cross the white line or as soon as I step onto the court, the only thing that matters because I've gotten this far is the outcome. You know, yeah. once the final whistle goes or buzzer goes, now everything else begins to matter again because it's it's you know i can i can put the sport on one side and i focus on my relationships and we say it a lot with young players that i work with from a sports psychology perspective it's know yourselves like we all have like these kind of like a group of selves within ourselves you know you have your athletic self you have your academic self you have a relationship with your parents your your girlfriend boyfriend or your your social circle how do you separate it so you can, can commit to each one as effectively as you can when you're in that environment. So when I'm with my friends, I don't want to be thinking about soccer. Don't want to be thinking about academics. Don't want to be thinking about what my dog lost its tail because it got run over or whatever. Um, in the same way, when I'm in the classroom, I don't want to be thinking about soccer. I don't want to be thinking about um, social. So how can you commit, as elite athletes do, they focus in on that one thing that matters at that moment in time? Because if you can do it and understand it, but then st- take a step back holistically and understand there are all these components that all need the same amount of attention whenever that's their time for that attention. Then you start to become a better person um, and more committed to maximizing those moments and getting more out of those moments, whether it be that conversation with your mom or your dad or whether it be the, you know, sitting on a swing in your porch with your brother or your sister or whether it be sitting in a classroom listening to your teacher. Um, understanding those little kind of characters that fall within our one major character is important for kind of overall success. You know, and that's why at that elite level, they can switch on and switch off. I'm going to be, hey, I'm going to listen. <laughs> You're not my teammate anymore because it's now England versus France as opposed to our club stuff. But as soon as the final whistle goes, we're teammates again and there's nothing but love, which is which is good, you know? Yeah. yeah um, that's powerful. And it's we, we try to create, you know, for, for us, it's, it's as a club, We've done a pretty good job. We'll take teams abroad, and we'll play. You no, know, we do, we take a team or at least one team every summer to Ireland to play in my hometown because there's a pretty prestigious tournament, which we're always pretty competitive at. And we always look to develop our players and create relationships outside of our club, with um, with clubs across the world. You know, so we every year, apart from COVID and 2021, we've taken teams to Ireland and the lasting relationships that our players develop with teams that they compete with in Ireland, but also we'll always bring in a couple of Irish kids to play on the team because we might not have a full squad. And the kids that come wow. over from Ireland, they stay with the families here in Connecticut no, year after oh, year because they played one year um, yeah. uh, in Ireland. It, it's, it's amazing. So I think, you know, be competitive when you can be, but no, outside of it, build relationships and experience the world. And this year, for the first time, we're actually taking 
a group of players to Malawi in East Africa to do some charitable work oh, and wow. work with a soccer academy there. Wow, uh, that's great. Yeah, just to kind of really kind of give them an open, a, a bigger worldly open mind because we can we can get very kind of self-centered and, and town-centered and family-centered. and Right. You, know, you might be stuck in your house doing eight hours of homework after school like, for a lot of your life, you know. So I think, you know, sport at the most elite level gives you the opportunity to compete. But at our level, how do we kind of build and create those relationships outside of our bubble? And we're trying to do that by taking players out into the world. That's great. Yeah. And I think the, uh, that, that expansion beyond just the, the community of the team, you've got that, that built in sort of family, the community of that, that club, but then recognizing that there's, there's that broader, that broader sense of yeah, the other clubs, the other, the other interactions that you're going to have with other teams. So we're yeah. part of the, the soccer community, the football community. And then to see that it's, it's really global. There's, there's human beings, uh, whether they're playing soccer or not, there's human beings who are in need. So we can, we can do something about that. And it just so happens that we've got a built in group that's yeah. ready to, to, to go and together to make that difference. Yeah. 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 yeah well the done. fact that it finds the, the, the fruit of the club is, is in charity, you know, it's in love. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah, well, we. I think the proof's well, in the of, pudding there, you know. Yeah, one of the successful things that we did during COVID, and COVID was scary because we just taken over the club as owners in 2019, and COVID hits in 2020, and I think it's our a relationship. Time to start a business. Yeah, no, yeah, but like when you're you're fearful of it, right? But I think because of the community that we created, we came out the back end of COVID stronger as a club because, you know, we. As a staff, we were engaged as much as we could with loads of online stuff. We, we, we kept really good relationships with all the people in the club. But what we also did, because we're in an area of, 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 of relative affluence, we started up our own charity, uh, which would allow for parents who lost their job during COVID or any, and, and beyond that, anybody that couldn't really afford it. We now have a charity called Football for All that invites players in that might not ever have had the access prior to, you know, they might have been affected by COVID and lost jobs, or they might just never have had the access anyway. So we do a really good job of, on each of our teams, you might have like a really, really wealthy family, like super late, the wealthiest of the wealthiest, you know? And as a business, right, like that's great because you can have like a load of those guys that might not be great people or athletes, but they'll tick boxes financially. But the charity and like the, the real charitable nature of the families in our club allowed us to set up the char the, the the charitable um, football for all um, that has really kind of brought in a diverse group of players at each level, and they're able to help each other um, yeah. in, in every aspect. You know. Wow, we're gonna uh, we'll, we'll make sure that we link to the football for all in the show notes for this. Yeah, uh, definitely. Of course, that's yeah, awesome. yeah, certainly, certainly. Yeah, I really like that. That's great. Um, all right, I, I have to do this. So, I, I baseball fan, lifelong. Uh, Soccer's never been never been my thing, but when I was finally exposed to uh, to soccer, it was actually when I was in the seminary. Um, never played because I'm not I'm not that kind of an athlete or anything like that. But uh, we went. We had the uh, we had the Clericus Cup. So this was in Rome. All the seminaries in Rome would play against each other. Oh, nice. And so the American seminary goes, and we had our, our first game. And uh, the guys who were playing asked everybody, "Please come to the game. We 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 want to get a, a nice crowd there." So we showed up to the game, and. Uh, we understood that soccer could end in a tie. Yeah, yeah. So the game, the game ends, it's tied. It was one-to-one. One. And uh, so we all get up. Okay, that's the, that's the end of the game. We all get up and we start to leave. But we didn't know that they, they had a, a specific rule for, for the Clericus Cup that games weren't ending in ties. They were going to do penalty kicks. Yeah, go, so, go. 
the goalie, our, our goalie comes running over as we're all of us just as a, as a one big mass body, we all get up and we start to leave the bleachers and he's running over guys, stay, stay. There's, there's penalty kicks. And somebody goes, what's penalty kicks. And so we go in, <laughs> we get in there for it. Anyway. Um, I never really understood anything much with, with soccer, but I, I, I look at movies, all right, movies. And, and you see like the best movies are, are sports movies. And people might argue with that. They, they might prefer a comedy. They might prefer this. But like a good sports movie can be the vehicle for drama. It can be the vehicle for comedy. It can be the vehicle for, for all kinds of other things. Yeah. But always what comes out is like that that real human connection. It's it's always in the end. It's not about what the team did or, or what the sport is. It's more about how through that sport they became uh, something better. Through through that they became something better. And then the, the most recent, and this is the thing that surprised me, was uh, Apple comes out with Ted Lasso. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and they come out with a, a, a show that's, I guess it's about soccer. Um, mm. If you if you've watched it, the uh, the amount of soccer action is pretty limited. Yeah. <laughs> it's not really yeah. that much about soccer, but it you see the dynamic in the locker room. These yeah. players who are are dealing with all kinds of things, and it's it's not so much about the the game by itself. It's there's something bigger than the game, and yet the game matters. And yeah. I think they do a beautiful job of holding that intention and. I wonder how hard is it to do that? Like as a coach and as a, as a player, as, as an athlete, as somebody who's been on the field, as somebody who's helping people through that, how do you help them to hold in tension that fact that the game matters and it's beautiful and there's all kinds of great things that you can do, but it's bigger than the game. How do you help them balance that and really get through to them? Yeah, it's, 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 it's never easy, right? But I think it's to your point. The reason why those movies are successful and why Ted Lasso is successful, it's it's the the sport is the vehicle, right? It's the it's it's and it's the it's the emotions and the camaraderie and the unity that drives the vehicle. So sport is it's it's the outcome. It's the outcome of everything that's positive. If you have a group that's negative, the outcome's often going to be negative. If you've got a group that's positive, the outcome's often going to be positive. And it can be you know underdog syndrome, right? It's like you know what an underdog can beat a big team because they're a tighter unit and they're prepared to work harder for one another and they're prepared to kind of do that extra thing to cover up my friend's mistakes. If my best friend's my teammate and he messes up, if I'm only a good friend, if I do the work for him and do the extra work just to make him look good, you know, whenever you have the teams that are relatively, you know, elite but unsuccessful, it might be that there's like there's a prima donna who just doesn't want to do any extra work for his teammates because it's all about me. So as we start to individualize yourself in a team setting, um, the, the unit starts to break down. And the reason why Ted Lasso is so enjoyable is because he's this American guy that steps in to a diff- completely different culture. And there's a right. there's boundaries that he has to break. It's not, uh, it, it, it comes from a footballing, American football background, so doesn't really understand the game. Um, so people are all, obviously skeptical. But right. as he gains an understanding of the game, he's built his un- he builds his understanding of the game on the development of relationships between players and himself. And he's prepared to take hits and he's yeah. prepared to be humble in order for the unit to be stronger. You know, so I think the sacrifice, you know, it's, it's hard to teach young kids sacrifice. Um, but it's kind of like when it becomes relatable like that with a sports movie or a sports series, then it becomes easier to do. Um, but I think the major success, as you mentioned, is, is based on the unity of the team. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think that that part of of realizing that it's not just the it's not just the sport 
but it's it's the foundational relationships it's the foundational human connection yeah but the sports are such a great way to draw that out yeah. athletics has has this capacity to to draw out from people their ability to enter into a relationship and to to go beyond themselves to be less selfish to to yeah. learn those those really important values you might try to teach them uh you, you might have have different rules in in the classroom or in anything else that you do but it's it's actually the game playing the game that teaches them how to take that step how to be generous how to do those other things yeah because it's, it's every every practice and every game um and every season is full of life challenges right communication um can you further your understanding of your teammates' abilities and, and, and emotions and frustrations? Can you bounce back from setbacks that you know better today than you did yesterday? Are you are you trying to improve yourself by that minimal percentage every practice and every game? And then you question what you question your team. No, no, what what's happening? Why is the team? Why is this part of the team breaking down? Technically, how can we fix it? Not like as a coach being a dictator and telling them exactly what to do, letting them figure it out for themselves. It's um, it's sport and team sports specifically is provides opportunities to build teams every day of the week. Right, with all in the field, yeah. there's an opportunity to strengthen the unit, but there's also pitfalls, and and, and some coaches fall into that. You can break the unit down. You know, so I think from our perspective and from a club perspective. When we do step onto the field, whether it's the type of practice we do, whether it's allowing somebody a little bit of leadership, allowing a couple of people to maybe communicate something with the group, allowing a player or a family to um, organize something off the field that everybody can avail of that's not soccer related, then it's it's kind of giving them impact on the development and structure of the team. And then that starts to build the unit up as much as possible. I imagine that it must it must encourage these kids and and help them grow in courage and in and in strength and fortitude as well. You know, F- from something as simple as leading your teammates, or you know, there's a ball and it's it's you know ready yeah. to be taken by either team, and one yeah. dude's six five and I'm five four. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. The bigger <laughs> and the we both got to go for it. Yeah, yeah. No, I've, I've seen it, and it's 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 beautiful to see whenever the shy and timid kid all of a sudden tells everybody, you know. Everybody, be quiet. Coach speaking. Yeah, you know, or the kid who's like, you know what? I'm 14 years old and I'm, I'm, I'm stick thin. But there's a guy who's 14 years old. He's a foot taller and he's like jacked. You know what? I'm just not going to let that guy intimidate me. You know, it's yeah. it, it's it's like, you know, in spite of this, this is the person who I'm willing to be. You know, it's um uh, those those are moments that, that that really really resonate and they happen a lot. You know. And probably sometimes we take them for granted and don't reward them or, or, or give credit where credit's due. But you no, know, the game and, and sport in general just really it, it opens your eyes on a daily basis. They people do really incredible things, no matter how small. Do you think it's one of the most effective way to teach kids? You know this this concept of courage. Yeah, because it puts. I mean, listen. There's all. It's courageous. It's also courageous to kind of really commit. Time and effort, the the like religion, academics, um, family relationships, but from a tangible perspective, me versus you, and sport just provides that mm-hmm. right in front of you. So it does; it, it creates that environment where you, you almost—it's not sink or swim because you can you can float and swim later. You don't have to sink. Do you know what I mean? It's um, but it's yeah. a case of like, listen, if you can't learn now, I'll help you learn later. And so it does provide those kind of situations where you might have to be a little bit more courageous, even if it's nerve-wracking and anxiety-inducing. Yeah. But 
if you can cross that barrier and boundary, and you'll start to manage your nerves and your anxieties better, which is just a phenomenal thing for young players and young people, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You talked about uh, growing up in, in Northern Ireland yeah. during the Troubles. I, you grew up Irish Catholic during the Troubles there. Um, do you draw on that experience of growing up in a, in a tense environment and, and sometimes a dangerous place? Do you draw on that as, as you're coaching and as you're, as you're talking to your, to your players? Yeah, I, I do. I definitely do. Because um, we were denied a lot. You know, and I came in at the back end of the troubles and like my older siblings and my parents suffered a lot, a lot more. My, my mother's brother was, was a victim on Bloody Sunday, you know, oh, so wow. like those, those, those life events and those family events do strengthen you in some ways and they weaken you in others. And I've had my uncles were weakened by it because it led, their, led them in, in, in wrong paths and you know, drove them to kind of like, not, they couldn't manage their emotions and alcohol, they turned to alcohol and stuff, you know, so, mm-hmm. but it also kind of fortified us a little bit. You know, it kind of, you dig in kind of like, you, know, you kind of have to be strong in order to get out of this. And even though I was at the back end of it, um, you know, a lot of our identity, if you're an Irish Catholic in Derry, was one of, you, know, you have to, you have to kind of fight your way out, you know. Um, and it really, really resonates because my brother-in-law is um, like a work, like a world-renowned artist. He's one of the Bogside artists they're called and they do, they've got the Peace and Reconciliation murals in the Bogside area of Derry. So he's gone and done um, murals for the Dalai Lama. He's done murals in Australia. He's done a Peace mural in Washington, D.C. So he's travelled the world and whenever we bring the 30, 40 kids from America to do the tour of those murals and they realise at their age, whenever I was their age, the stuff that I was doing was like riding in the streets and avoiding rubber bullets and avoiding all, all like any trouble that is an, is alien to them, it really kind of matures them as people, and it also really it brings allows them to bring back a maturity and kind of a real better sense of self that applies himself better to school and academics and the relationships and sports here. So we do draw on it, and I'm lucky enough that I can share it, um, and, yeah. and and I'm excited to go to Malawi with the group because that'll be something culturally different. But again, it's we're going to go there and we're going to do some charitable work and we're going to. Uh, take a day on a safari and we're going to work with kids in, in, in schools and we're going to jump into a couple of soccer practices. So I think the more we can expose our players to that, um, both through their affordability, them affording to do it, and football for all paying for some people to do it, then I think the better grounded our community will be and our club will be and, and the stronger we'll be, you know. So it is, it's, it's, it, uh, I grew up in a pretty aggressive time Um I don't know if you've ever seen the series Dairy Girls on 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 um, uh, Netflix. It's well worth the watch. It's poignant okay. because it's, you're the it's, second it's, person who's recommended yeah. that to me. So it's I'm going to have to watch. It's, it's it's the same age as what I was then, and it was showed you life in okay. terms of like the Irish humor, but also like the background, which was relatively I say relatively it was pretty chaotic. You know, Saturdays for me yeah. before I started playing soccer were in the bog side in Derry and there was riots and there was tear gas and there was petrol bombs and all that good stuff. So that was, that was, yeah, that was as a 13, 14, 15 year old growing up, going to school and that was your weekend activity. Soccer took me away from that kind of folk. That's what kind of made my focus. So I'm very thankful for the the challenge and upbringing. I say challenge and it was very enjoyable because my parents did a wonderful job of, of, of kind of making our lives good. Um, but definitely now I see the strength in having grown up as an Irish Catholic. Um, obviously under kind of the British establishment and what they refused, my older siblings and my uncles and aunts and parents. 
um, and seeing how far Ireland as a whole and Northern Ireland has developed in terms of you know, we've come through a lot, but it's all focused on mm-hmm. peace and reconciliation and, and, and working together. At the first club that I played for, actually the semi-pro club where Declan Devine was the coach and I was the goalkeeper, was a Protestant soccer team. Oh wow! Yeah, wow. which is yeah, and it was one of the few Catholics that played for it, which kind of shows a little bit of my journey, you know. But again, it was it was fraught with um, being chastised and a little bit of back and forth because it was the end of the troubles. But those guys, those Protestant kids that I started playing with at fifteen, had never been into my neighborhood, and it was nice to bring those guys in and stay in my. And they would never, they were petrified to come to my neighborhood, but they felt yeah, the sure. with my family, you know, but. So yeah, you're, you, I think your upbringing certainly forms you. It's certainly formed me. I've had a, a great family, um, and and, uh, and look, I actually fly back in two weeks to see them. Um, so I'm oh, excited nice. about that. Um, and it's something that I think I do try and impart, impart with the players that I coach and at every level. Um, and I'm very happy to share with the players that end up coming over to Ireland and seeing it for themselves. That's great. You know? yeah. It's I I think the the power of of kind of where you come from. And to be able to draw on that, to be able to draw on it in a way that um, that allows people to have that greater perspective, taking the kids to Malawi and letting them see something so different from from their own yeah. experience, and to, to know that there's adversity out there that's very different than the adversity that that you face. Like, yeah, I have my problems, right? Everybody's got things that they that they have to deal with. Um, and it doesn't mean to compare apples to oranges or anything like yeah. that, but just to say, I can see somebody else's challenges and the and the things that they have to go through and realize then, because I see that, what I have to deal with is different. Yeah. I this think is it's, my challenge. I'm going to deal with it this way. But now it's in a perspective that's just yeah, healthier. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think it makes you breathe better. You know, I think for me, it's, it's and I've had I'm very, very fortunate. I've always been fortunate that people tell me about I would fall into a river and come out of with a fish in my mouth, um, but I, I've been, but I've been, I've been to Chernobyl, I've been to Cambodia, you know, I've been to places that you know what gives you so much perspective. So when things are tough here and things get tough, right? It's like just breathe, just take a deep breath and just think about what I've what, what I've seen, and just have a little look around and see like a nice straight line with lovely trees, or see my kids running in the, in the garden, you know, or look at the nice dinner that I have when I get home. You know, or then or, you know, the ability to go to a soccer convention in, in, in Philadelphia, just breathe. You know, I think you know, if I haven't seen what I've seen allows me just to breathe a little bit better every day. Beautiful. Yeah. Oh, that's great. So, Marty, how can people find out about uh, Inter Connecticut Football Club? Yeah, we're, we're on social media, Inter Connecticut uh, FC, you know, a, a simple Google search, uh, you know, we'll get you there. We're based out of Norwalk in, in Galton area of Connecticut. Um, and we have players from all over. You know, we, we get we get the sensible players who travel a town or two to play for us. And then we've got the crazy players who travel an hour to play for <laughs> us because you know, we have because they enjoy the community. Um, yeah, you, you find us online at interconnecticutfc.com or intercttfc.com. Um, and and then our partner, Football for All. It's football, as in football for American football. The number four. And ALL.net, that's our charitable arm where we're, we're trying to do a lot of good things to eliminate barriers for people to play and people to that's experience great. international travel. That's great. Wow. Well, Marty, thank you so much. Uh, I know you've got to get to this uh, to this convention, but you've uh, been real generous with your time. I really appreciate of it. Course. I really yeah. love what, what you're you doing. Much. 
yeah, this vision that you've got for teaching sports and uh, forming human beings who are not just going to be great athletes, but, but great people. Um, thanks for what you're doing. It's, it's awesome to see. No, thank you so much for your time, gentlemen. I really appreciate it. Of course. Right. It's our pleasure. Great. Thanks, Marty. Right. God bless you. you Peace. Take care. Bye.